So today I want to talk about why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was so important. How many know that there was a lot of amazing things that happened in Jesus' ministry? I just miracle, I mean, it's his, it started with a miracle, right? He was born of a virgin. And then when he began his public ministry, he began to do miracle after miracle, right? He turned water into wine. The deaf would become uh, hearing again. The blind would become seeing again. He rose people from the dead. He cast out demons. He set people free. His life was just miracle after miracle, demonstrating the power of God, giving evidence that he was who he says he was. But the death and resurrection was actually the culmination of his ministry. It was the the key thing about it. See, all those things that I mentioned before, they were pretty amazing. They were awesome. I mean, we just saw God working, and it would have been such an amazing thing to see those things happen. And I thank God that he still does miracles today. Amen. And all those things were incredible, but without the crucifixion and subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ, he would have just been an amazing fixed figure in history. He would have just been another, another guy that did some awesome stuff. And, and I don't just necessarily mean the physical act, right? Because there are many people who have been crucified. In that time period, I mean, we know there are two others who are on the cross right next to him. So there's plenty of people that got crucified. So when I say that his, <laughs> his crucifixion, I almost said his crucifixion, but I'm pretty sure that's not a word. His, his crucifixion, uh, when I talk about that, I, I don't mean the physical act, right? Because like I said, many people have been crucified. But only one rose from the dead three days later. But rather, I'm talking about when I say his crucifixion and his, his, his resurrection, I'm talking about what they represent. You see, Jesus didn't just come to perform miracles. They were proof that he was who he said he was, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to just do miracles and then, and then go on his merry way when it was done. But he came to set the captives free. He came to fulfill the law. And when he came to fulfill the law, that means he came to fulfill the legal requirements of the law. You see, the law wasn't just a list of do's and don'ts. How many of you know that? The law was the standard that man would have to live up to in order to be righteous, in order to be able to stand before the king blameless, to stand before God blameless. This was the, the standard. That was what the law was. And if you didn't meet that standard, there was a penalty. There was a cost to not measuring up. We learn about in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. It's actually a pretty steep cost for not measuring up. Because something that is not perfect cannot stand in the presence of the one who is. We have to be perfect. We have to be righteous. We have to be holy. So then we find ourselves in a conundrum because we see the law what we have to measure up to, and not a single person, not a single one, meets the requirements. So there's that penalty that's looming over each and every one of our heads, and Jesus came to pay that penalty. That's what it means he fulfilled the law. It's because the law didn't go away. The law didn't just disappear. The law wasn't just ignored. Those were the requirements. 
but Jesus came to fulfill those requirements for us. So what Jesus did was so much more than miracles that he performed while he walked on this earth. Because the greatest miracle that Jesus did was to make each and every one of us who have put our trust in him brand new. A new creation. That's why I titled the message this morning, Alive in Him. If you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are now alive in Him. And then He said, it is finished. How many know that when Jesus said it is finished, He meant it? That wasn't just something nice to say that we could sew on pillows. When He said it is finished, He meant it. There is nothing more that you and I can do to add to what Jesus did. It is finished. He did more than enough, and he did it because he loved you. You were the joy that was set before him. You're the reason that he endured the incredible punishment and shame. All of that stuff he endured because of you, because he loved you. Because he thought that you were worth it. Amen? So let's look at the first scripture today. Matthew 20, 17 through 19, it says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. First, I want everyone to know that when we're looking at the story of what happened in Jesus' life, the, the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't a surprise. It, it wasn't something that, that just that, that caught Jesus by surprise. It didn't caught, catch God by surprise. Matter of fact, these things were actually foretold to happen. Jesus told them that they were going to happen. And he knew it was coming. And the reality is, is that Jesus came for this very purpose. This is the reason why he came. And there are at least three other times in the, in the Gospel of Matthew that you can look where Jesus announced his upcoming death and resurrection. Matthew 12, 40, Matthew 16, 21, and Matthew 17, 22. I'm not going to read it today, but just write those down if you want to check it out later. That's three other times he announced that he was going to have to die. And this had to have been so hard for the disciples to hear. See, the, the, the disciples were Jesus' friends. They walked with him for several years. They knew him. They trusted him. He was their everything because they gave up everything to follow him. And it had to have been hard for them to hear that their, that their friend, the one that they served, their, their Lord, their master, was going to be crucified. And matter of fact, we know it was pretty upsetting because Peter speaks out against it. In Matthew 16, 23, says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, they didn't want Jesus to die. They didn't want this to happen. They loved him. And it's hard for us today as well to imagine what Jesus had to go through. Has anybody ever seen The Passion of the Christ? I've seen it once. That was enough. And you know,
Is it back on? I don't know why it's been doing that. Like, yeah, let's keep a battery up here on save. It doesn't say it's dead. Hallelujah. Well, you got my notes. Come on. Oh. Hallelujah. <coughs> Praise God. Several years ago, I preached a message. Actually, I preached it last year and, and uh, uh, several years before that. But I, I titled the message, Real Love. And the purpose of that message was to show all of us really what Jesus went through to demonstrate his love for us. And I tried to share all the horrible things that had happened to him and, and just the pain and the suffering that he went through, not to make you feel bad, but to, so that you would recognize what he was willing to endure. See, the, 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 the problem is, is, is too many times we, we see that picture of Jesus on the cross and we're like, oh, he had a bad day. But we don't recognize what he willingly endured for us. You know, the problem is, is all the, uh, we just don't understand what that would entail, what that would, what that would mean for him to go through that stuff. But it was, he did it because he loved us so much. And I don't know about you, but, but I, I, when I think about how much he loved me, I, I think like Pastor Joseph, and I'm like, wow. That's a lot. Of, I, can, you, can you imagine being willing to do what Jesus did for you, for somebody else. But the truth is, is that we should. That's how we're supposed to be known, is our love for one another. And Jesus said the greatest love that you can have is to lay out in your life for someone else. And then in John 27 through 32, it says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You know, one of the things that, that amazes me more than anything is that, that when Jesus walked this earth, is he was a man just like all of us. And he wasn't looking forward to what was going to happen. He experienced all the same fear and, and other emotions that, that, that we experience. He was a man just like us. He was no different. Yet he decided to go through with it anyway because of his love for us. 
In Luke 22, 41 through 42, it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Man, I, I, I think about this story, and one, you know, a lot of us look and see what Jesus is going through, and maybe we have some empathy for that. But I think, man, what about the Father? Could you imagine understanding that what was about to happen was necessary, but then having your son cry out saying, if there's any other way. I can tell you right now, if I was God, you guys would be in a mess. I don't think I could go through with it. But here's the thing. Jesus understood that it was God's plan. It was Jesus' plan. It was his very purpose for being here. On August 16th in 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport, killing 155 people. And one survived, a four-year-old from Tempe, Arizona, named Cecilia. News accounts say that when rescuers found Cecilia, they did not believe that she had been on the plane. And investigators first assumed Cecilia had been a passenger in one of the cars on the highway into which the airliner crashed. But when the passenger register for the flight was checked, there was Cecilia's name. Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling, Cecilia's mother, Paula Chicken, unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and body around Cecilia, and then would not let her go. Nothing could separate that child from her parents' love. Neither tragedy, nor disaster, neither the fall, nor the flames that followed, neither height, nor depth, nor life, nor death. Such is the love of our Savior for us. He left heaven, lowered himself to us, and covered us with the sacrifice of his own body to save us. Jesus took on everything that we should have experienced because he loved us so much. So as Jesus is there praying, a voice comes out of heaven, and Jesus says, listen, this voice that you heard, this voice that you heard, it wasn't for me, it was actually for you. This was actually for us, so that when we read this back, we can see that it was God that sent him. This is just evidence for us to understand and believe so that we don't get caught up like so many and say, oh, he was just a good man, he was just a prophet, so that we're not confused. This is evidence that, no, the Father sent him. And everything that happens with Jesus shows us that God was with him, that it was God's plan. And even the resurrection was God's stamp of approval. He talks about, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. You see, this is talking here about Jesus' death when he was lifted up because he was hoisted up on a cross. And it says, as a result of that, he was going to draw all men to him. Because it's his love for us that draws us in. His sacrifice and willing to give everything for us is what draws us in. And in the same token, we need to lift Jesus up in front of men. Pastor Jerome was out last week ministering to us, trying to encourage you, uh, encourage us. Like, what are you doing? Do you just show up to church on Sunday? Or are you actually out there ministering? Are you actually out there serving? Are you actually doing something for the kingdom of God? Are you lifting up the name of Jesus in front of others so that they might see what he did for them, so that they might see his love? We need to share the reality that the job is done. 
that it is finished. All sins have been paid for. And that's the sin of the entire world. Do you understand the magnitude of that? That sin, the body of sin, has been dealt with because of what Jesus' cross did. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. What Jesus did on the cross dealt with the entire body of sin. There is not a sin that was so egregious. There's not some outlier somewhere. Every sin was dealt with, not just the sins of the ones that that John was speaking to, but to the sins of the entire world, and that includes yours and mine. That includes the sins of all those people that you don't like on on Facebook, all the people that you work with that kind of irritate you. He died for them too. He loves them. The reality is, is that we should love them like he loves them. And if you think this is a one-off, just a couple more places, Ephesians 1, 7, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, they all talk about what Jesus did being for the entire world, everybody. And we have to encourage people that nobody would pay twice for the same thing. You see, that's the problem, is that many people are going to hell not because their sin hasn't been dealt with. Their sin has been dealt with. Jesus took care of it. They're going to hell because they don't receive that free gift of salvation. They go to pay their bill, and the, and the cashier says, hey, your bill's already been paid. Go ahead. And they said, no, no, I want to pay for it myself. That's the problem that they're running into. The reality is, is that nobody's going to hell because of their sin directly. They're going to hell because they didn't receive the free gift that Jesus Christ offers. If they would have just said yes and put their trust in him. And it's our job to tell people about that. Even though it seems like it's getting harder and nobody wants to hear about it. Anybody ever feel like nobody wants to hear about Jesus? You know, the funny thing is, is I think about that. I'm like, man, nobody wants to hear. Every time I talk to people, they, they push me away. They argue. They don't want anything to do with it. But then I remember that I was like that once too. How long did I push people away? How long did I ignore people? How long did I make fun of people for all those things? But finally, finally, somebody kept persevering. And then I finally said, yes. What if everybody went, man, it's just too hard to tell people about Jesus, and nobody would have said it to me one more time? What if nobody would have told you about Jesus one more time? We have to tell them, listen, you have an advocate, even if you've sinned. And he was the one sacrifice for all time. And he perfected you for all time. And he he was lifted up to pay the price for the failure that was yours. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. This is from John 19, 28 through 30. He says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus said he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You see, when everything had been accomplished, and what that means is that when the entire body of sin was, was dealt with, when, when, when everything that was prophesied about him had been, had been accomplished, when there was nothing more for Jesus to do while he was alive, he says, it is finished. 
And then he says, I thirst. And this is likely to fulfill, or this was to fulfill scripture, and, and there's multiple that it could have been. Psalm 69, 21 says, they gave me poison for food, for my, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Psalm 42, 2 says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What, when shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 22, 15 says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Jesus is fulfilling scripture. His entire life was about fulfilling scripture. Just more evidence that he is who he says he was, and he did what he said he would do. And unlike the, the wine earlier that was mixed with myrrh that would have likely dulled his senses, this time he takes a drink. And then he's done and says, it is finished. He gave up his spirit. And the Greek word that's used here for it is finished is uh, tetelestai. And it means it is accomplished, it is fulfilled, or even it's paid in full. Jesus did what he came to do on that cross. And the point here is that there's nothing left to be done. I want you to understand, each and every one of you, and also when you're sharing with others, that, that Jesus did everything that was required. There's nothing more than you have to do. There's nothing more that you can do. You don't have to attain or maintain salvation because Jesus accomplished it. All you have to do is remain in faith. Amen? And when Jesus said it, he meant it. And here's the thing is that what Jesus did was, was once and for all. In Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered all, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time, for all time, those who are being sanctified. So you guys probably already know, if you've, if you've been in the church any length of time, that under Jewish law, animals were sacrificed to deal with sin. And here's the thing, is they were just a stopgap. They were a temporary measure. And, and the best way that you can tell by looking at it is they, is, is, is they didn't, they, they certainly weren't permanent. If they were permanent, they wouldn't have had to have been done over and over and over and over and over again. But Jesus, he came. And what he did was permanent. See, in Hebrews 10, 4, it says it was impossible for the, bulls, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In verse 11 here, it's reiterated, but Jesus offered himself up as a single offering, a single sacrifice that would be good for all time. And that means that any sin that you've ever committed is taken care of. I mean, that's good news. Amen. But how many know it also covers any sin that you might ever commit in the future? You know, one of the things that uh, has gone around in, uh, at times is that, you know, when you get saved, all your sins that were in the past, you're forgiven for, but any of the sins you commit in the future, you have to deal with somehow. And the thing that's strange to me about that is that when Jesus died, how many of your sins were future sins? Come on and have a seat. Welcome. When Jesus died, how many of your sins were future sins? All of them. He takes away all of your sins. And afterwards, it says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Do you guys know why he sat down? If you have anybody that's, that, any people that are hard workers, they know this. You don't sit down until the job is done. But when the job's done, you can finally sit down. When Jesus sat down, it's because it was finished. There was no more work to do. And if you place your trust in him, then that's you who are perfected for all time. 
Pastor Wayne, I don't feel perfect. You don't have to. It has nothing to do with you. Because it's not of your own doing. It's because of what Jesus Christ did. And Jesus took care of it. And while all of this is amazing, because how many know that we need our sins forgiven? Having our sins forgiven is a good thing. How many of you know that if that's all that happened, we'd still be in a mess? You see, forgiveness of sins is amazing. What Jesus has accomplished so far is incredible, but Jesus didn't stop there. Because while here is where he dealt with the penalty of sin, in a few days, he deals with the root cause of sin. Amen? And that's when he was resurrected. Luke 24, 1-7 says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? You see, the empty tomb was proof that Jesus was who he said he was. In Matthew 28, we saw that an earthquake happened and the angels rolled the stone away from the tomb not to let Jesus out, but to let witnesses in. He already wasn't there. Exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. And the angels give a rebuke to those who show up. He says, don't you remember what he said? Weren't you listening? You know, we read this and we're like, yeah, guys, weren't you listening? We forget about all the times that we didn't listen. We do the same thing in our lives all of the time. And all too often we forget what he said. When we're sick, we ask God, why is this happening to me? Forgetting that he died to make us whole. And we're struggling financially. We forget that he said to cast our anxiety on him. When we're afraid, we forget that Jesus hasn't, that the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We forget this stuff all the time. And when we succumb to temptation, it's because we forget that we're new creations in Christ. You see, many things were said about this empty tomb. Some say he was stolen. Which if you do any, any research into the situation, that was an impossibility. There was a Roman guard that was sitting in front of him. They put the seal across the tomb and the seal wasn't broken until the angels rolled it away. And the reality is, is that had these trained soldiers had fallen asleep, the penalty for falling asleep in the Roman army was death. These guys didn't mess around. Nobody came and stole Jesus. Some say he actually wasn't dead, but he just swooned. He just passed out on the cross. But um, how many know that the Roman soldiers, especially the one that, that poked him in the side after it was done, they understood what dead people looked like. They weren't going to be confused by that. And then when they put him in the tomb, he was wrapped by over a hundred pounds of spices. The fact is, is that Jesus rose again from the dead. He was alive, just like he said. He wasn't in the tomb, but he was alive. And the angel made it clear, why do you seek 
the living among the dead. The fact that God raised him from the dead was a stamp of approval from God. You see, there was all this evidence while Jesus lived. And then he was crucified, which just wrecked everybody. They thought it was over. They couldn't believe what happened. But then he rose from the dead. Because the scripture says that death couldn't hold him. Amen. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, it says, And as they were... First Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 says, For I delivered to you as of what was uh, first importance to what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Scripture foretold what would happen. Everything that happened, the Scripture talked about, right? He died for our sins in accordance to what? The Scriptures. It was foretold. He was buried and he raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It was foretold. Everything that was done was according to God's Word. This wasn't a surprise. This certainly wasn't a victory for the enemy. It was actually a crushing defeat. He just didn't know it until after it was done. But this was God's plan from the beginning to not only forgive men which is what his death did. It paid the penalty for our sins, but also to make us brand new because we are alive in him, in his resurrection. By faith, we are made brand new. We are new creations. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And there was no doubt that he rose again and also no doubt that Jesus uh, was seen. That's another thing we talked about. You know, we talked about the evidence for, for, for Jesus dying and then, then being in the tomb uh, and then not being in the tomb afterwards. There's plenty of evidence that he couldn't have been stolen. He couldn't have swooned. He actually died. He was actually put in that tomb. But there's also evidence that he rose again because it says first he was seen by Cephas into the twelve and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. You see, the, the, the greatest evidence for this is, is that Paul's writing this stuff while most of these people are still alive. How many of you know that if, if Paul wrote this stuff and he was lying, they would say, wait a minute, I was there. That's not actually what happened. But there's no indication in history that any of that happened. This is one of the greatest evidences that Jesus rose again because all this stuff was written when the people were still alive and could have refuted it, but they didn't. You know, one of the things that, 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 still, that I find humorous is when we, we, we put out uh, content and messages on social media, evident... Uh, in, in, I can't remember the word that just came into my head and it left. Anybody ever have words come in your head and leave? Hallelujah. It's right there too. You can, you can almost see it and you want it, but you can't grab it. But inevitably, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> inevitably, somebody comes on and says, oh, you believe in a fairy tale. The resurrection didn't happen. Jesus was a myth. All of these things. The reality is, is that Jesus was a historical figure. And if you examine the evidence, the historical evidence, the, the only conclusion that you can come to is that the resurrection happened. He lived, he died, he rose again. Even the staunchest of atheists will say at least, well, you know, uh, it's evident from the, the historical evidence that the, the disciples, they believed that he rose again. Because everything points to that. He died for our sins, and he paid for them all. And there's nothing more that we can add to it. 
And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, we find here that death came from Adam, right? And we all know the story in the garden. Eve was deceived, and then she talks to her husband. He eats from the tree, and from that point on, death was introduced into the human race. For all the guys who like to talk trash about Eve, I just want you to know that it was Adam that caused the issue. There wasn't an issue until he, he ate, because it came, death came through Adam. It was his sin that introduced death and pain and suffering and that, that slavery to sin in our lives. And you go, well, Pastor Wayne, that seems like a terrible idea. Why would God hold, uh, hold everyone accountable for what Adam did? And, and the reality is, is that, that what Adam did broke that connection that we had with God. It broke each and every one of us spiritually. But don't be confused. You're not being held accountable for Adam's sin. You're being held for your own. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short. You're being held accountable for your own sin, but the reason why we're in slavery to sin is because of what Adam did. That's why we're, we're, we're born broken. We're in this mess in the first place. And you say, well, why did God do that? Why did God allow that to, to go down through the generations? But how many know that if he doesn't, hadn't have done that, if death wouldn't have came through one man, then life couldn't have came through one man, Jesus Christ. The thing is, is God's smarter than you. <laughs> and me too. <laughs> Just in case you case you I was trying to say something else. It seems harsh. But if this were not the case, then we would only have our own lives to show before God. And as we said, every single one of them falls short. We've all failed. We all have our own sin. And there's not one person who has lived perfectly who could say it's Adam's fault that they don't measure up. But there's good news. That's what the gospel is all about. If by one man death came, then by one man life can come. We can all live. And when Jesus returns, we'll reign with him. Death will be abolished completely forever. And we will live for eternity with him. And then we'll finish here this morning. And John... 3, 3 through 7, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is... Nicodemus talking to, to, to Jesus, and Nicodemus was one of the best of the best. Nicodemus represented the best in the nation. He was a teacher, a Pharisee, and a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. 
The Sanhedrin had 70 members who were responsible for religious decisions, and under, under the Romans, they were actually responsible for civil rule of the Jews as well. And he came at night probably because he was afraid of, of what other people might say. Or maybe it's because there was less of a crowd. I don't know. You'll have to ask him one day. But he was respectful. He calls him teacher um, he, because he doesn't really understand who Jesus is at this point. So, but he calls him teacher. And, and we find out that, uh, praise God, that Nicodemus has, has, a, has a change as time goes by because he actually is the one that, that uh, defends Jesus when he's getting ready, to, when they uh, trying to find a reason to crucify him, he defends him and says, hey, shouldn't he be heard? In our law, he should be heard. And then he's the one that helps uh, Joseph bury Jesus by supplying that 100 pounds of burial spices that I talked about earlier. But here we see how the resurrection ties in to the life of a Christian because the resurrection makes it possible for us to be born again. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive a brand new spirit inside of him. It is by his death that our sins are forgiven, but it's in his resurrection that we're given newness of life. This is how we're born again. This is how we're made brand new. Every time I look at Jesus' story, I'm so thankful that he was willing to go to the cross for me, that he loved me that much. But how many of you know that if he stopped there, it wouldn't have been enough? You see, that would just give us the forgiveness of our sins. That would just pay the penalty for our sins. And we need that. We need forgiveness. Otherwise, we can't stand before God. But the problem is, is that when Adam fell, at that moment, mankind was in a, was in a slave to sin. And when you're in slavery to something, that means that you can't do anything except for what it lets you do, Right? Whatever you're enslaved to dictates everything that you do in your life. It's your master. So we were a slave to sin. We, we, we couldn't live without sinning. It was impossible to not sin, which is why every person has fallen short of the glory of God. Every person has sinned. So forgiveness is good, but the problem is, is, is if it was just forgiveness, it would have just been like a, the, 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 the blood of bulls and goats were as, in, in a much smaller manner, right? They, they covered the forgiveness in a moment, but they couldn't go any farther than that. Because they continued sinning afterwards. They, they weren't free from sin. There was no possibility to, to live without sin. It was impossible because they were still slaves to sin. So I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't just stop at forgiving us of our sins, but he rose again. The greatest event in the history of the world was his resurrection because that's what set us free. It's what makes us brand new. It's the reason why in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You are made, made brand new. It says, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You're no longer who you used to be. The old man is dead and gone. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are completely free. And I believe personally that if you're in Christ, now I need you to hear me on this. Hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. <laughs> but I believe that in Christ, it's, it's possible to not sin. Now, I also understand that in order for that to be possible, we would have to live in a complete and full revelation of what that means to be made brand new in Christ. And even Paul said, I have not achieved it yet. I have not attained it yet. If Paul hasn't attained it, I think that we're all still trying to get there, right? 
But I believe that if we had a full revelation of what Christ accomplished on that cross, if we had a full revelation that in him we are free, then we could live our lives without sinning. But I also recognize that not a single one of us live in that full revelation. And that's why John says that we have an advocate with the Father. So the good news is, is that we have been given freedom and victory over sin in our lives. And as believers, we shouldn't sin. But if we do stumble, thank God that we have an advocate. Thank God that, that not only the sins we have committed, but any sin we will commit in the future. And the reality is, is that we will sin because none of us have a full revelation of what Christ accomplished for us. But we've been made brand new. Sin has been dealt with. It's not an issue. The only issue is, is will you accept that free gift of salvation? Jesus said you must be born again. You must by faith die and be resurrected with Jesus Christ. Be born again if you want to be saved. It's not about doing the right thing. It's not about living a perfect life. It's, it's not about, you don't have to attain forgiveness. If that was the requirement, none of us would make it. The law already proved that. But instead, we put our trust in what Jesus Christ did on that cross when he gave his life so that we could be made brand new. And then he rose again on the third day and we raise in faith and newness of life with him. Amen? That's what it is to be born again, is to put your trust in him. Receive his spirit inside of you so that when you stand before God, he doesn't see your failures, he sees Christ's success. Amen? And that's what the resurrection is about, is that we've been made brand new.